In this episode of the Rockets Chop Shop Podcast, I'm joined by the homie Jackson Gatlin from Locked On Rockets. We talk about his experiences at the Vegas Summer League, and we talk about expectations for this coming season for the Houston Rockets. You don't want to miss this conversation. Tap in. Enjoy. Sound 42. Turn it up. It's the Chop Not Slap Show. So G. Rossi and DJ Candlestick. Chop Stars OVO Gang. The Chop Shop and Mint Mobile have partnered together to bring you some good news. And the good news is that Mint Mobile cell phone service and wireless services are here and they're here to save you money. Mint Mobile offers premium wireless services as low as $15 a month. That is right, $15 a month. That means you are still keeping your same speed, you're still having the same coverage, you still are able to use the same data that you use, but for the low price of $15 a month. Switching to Mint Mobile is totally easy. I mean, they've made it so easy. You can literally download your SIM card. They have an e-SIM card program. You're able to download a SIM card to your phone and immediately uh, within like 15 minutes, you can activate that SIM card and have a new line um, with, with Mint Mobile. For a special limited offer for our Chop Shop viewers, you can get the Mint Mobile services, the limited services, that's usually 30 bucks. You can get it for $15, that's 50% off. You're saving 50%. You're gonna get the limited service for Mint Mobile for only 15 bucks a month. Think of all the stuff you could do with a little bit of extra money that you save from your cell phone bill in your pockets. You can go to a Rockets game, you can you know, take your family out to eat. Like I said, nobody should be paying this much for cell phone services in 2023. You know, we the technology is too good for that. So make the switch today. Make the switch today. Go to the link in the description of the video. Support the channel. Check out Mint Mobile um, as we're partnering with them. And we're going to keep dropping that heat. The time you from me. This is something I know. Welcome to another episode of the Chop Shop Pod. I got a special guest with me today. Uh, this is, take, it took too long for this to happen, but it, it did happen. Um, this is my guy, uh, you know, friend of the of the channel and uh, Rockets legend uh, in the podcasting world, uh, Jackson Gatlin from Locked On Rockets. What is good with you, brother? What's up, Frank? I'm happy to be here on the channel. Happy to talk a little Rockets basketball over here with you. And man, uh, please just don't don't refer to me as a Rockets legend. I, I do not. I have not earned that title whatsoever. There are so many amazing content creators in this Rockets community. You among, you know, among many others. And uh, I'm just happy to be able to share this space with a lot of really passionate, diehard, smart individuals when it comes to this team. Now, you're, you know, the reason I'm going to call you a legend and I love to get flowers on here is because that during the worst time in Rockets basketball history, like you actually grew a platform and then ushered a lot of the fan base through that. Like we this for content creators, anybody watching this content, y'all know that this was this was a nasty time for us these past three years. But better days are ahead. Where's, where's my button? Hang on. Hang on. Here we go. Go ahead. Terrible. <laughs> there we go. It Trash. was. John Wall was not capping. He was not capping. But uh, you just came back, for, you know, fresh out of Vegas. 
Um, one, did you expect to stay that long? And was like Tari's mom said some of us were, or it was Emma Stone that said people were running out of underwear. Were you one of those individuals that had to make a Walmart? Stop? I was I was not running out of underwear in Vegas. Let the record show that I had plenty <laughs> of clean, tidy whities in Vegas. No, look, I, I was there for six days, I believe it was. I mean, I was I was there for okay. a minute. I caught uh three of the games in person, um, went to Rockets practice, got you know a real good look at Dylan Brooks and some of the other guys in Rockets practice, got to see how he was kind of incorporating himself amongst some of the other young guys with Tari and Jabari and catching up with guys on the sidelines like Alper and Shingoon. And, and again, Jabari, Tari didn't get a chance to chat with Jalen uh, much in Vegas. Unfortunately, it's always a fantastic experience. It's a ton of fun out there. Um, honestly, Frank, there's nothing like it in the NBA world, right? right. It's, you know, seeing the glow up that Vegas summer league has gone through over these last 10 years or so they had, this time around, they had like a TV station just to the left of where they do the player interviews post game in like the back hallway, which is basically like a loading dock. Like it's so unofficial. It's so like it's got like rec league, like college vibes all over the place. Um, and they had this set of like four TVs and on one of the TVs. They had like just a highlight reel running from like old Vegas Summer League games from like mm-hmm. 2009, 2010. And at one point they had like they were showing James Harden highlights from his Vegas summer league debut. And the, there were like, maybe like fans, like three rows back in the stands. And that's it. Like it was like empty. It looked like the final day of Vegas summer league when you got nothing but like fringe G league guys playing, but it was James Harden out there playing in summer league. So it just kind of shows you how much that has grown in the last 10 or so years and how big the platform has gotten to where every year, all the top rookies compete. You get, especially this year, pretty much it felt like every single like sophomore player from last year's draft came back to compete yeah, again in this year, you know, whether they played for one game, two games, three games, whatever it was. Um, and you get to hear about how important this opportunity is from even Ben Sullivan, the Rockets summer league head coach and part of the new coaching staff under Ime Odoka talked about how invaluable of an experience it is for these young guys to come in and they're fresh off the NBA draft, but they get to really get acclimated to their teammates, their new coaches, and they get to actually play some, you know, whether you call it meaningful basketball or whatever, but they get to play some high level competitive basketball in an environment with a full crowd and referees. And, you know, it feels like, a real NBA environment for about 10 days or so. It's a really fantastic opportunity. Yeah, I definitely got to got to make it out there um, fairly soon. I, I kind of missed the boat on talented Rockets going there because hopefully we're not going to be drafting guys that are just headliners at Vegas anymore. I like to be one of those teams where we don't watch Vegas anymore like we didn't for the before the three years. But were you there last year? Did you go for Jabari's rookie year? So, yeah. So I've actually been three years in a row. The very first okay. year that I went was the Jalen Green Vegas Summer League. But I didn't go as credentialed media that year. I wasn't a fan. And I made okay. the horrendous mistake of at the time I was still working my like, quote unquote, day job at the time. And so I tried to line it up. Uh, with as much PTO time as I could mm-hmm. for my day job. So I went during the back half of Vegas Summer League that year. So I got to see exactly one and a half quarters of Jalen Green playing basketball um, yeah, he got hurt. before yeah. he went out due to the hamstring tightness, unfortunately. So that was kind of a bummer. And I learned my lesson then that you have to go during the first like three to five days of Summer League because so many players get shut down so quickly. So I went as a fan that time around. But the last two summers in a row, I've been able to go uh, and be a credentialed media member. So I was there for the Jabari Smith Summer League, his rookie Summer League, along with Tari and Ty Ty. And then I went this past go around. And honestly, it's a fantastic experience. It's a ton of fun. 
Everybody in the NBA world is there from executives to scouts to front office personnel to players and coaches and uh, retired guys. Like, I mean, you know, at one point during my final game that I was there for the Rockets, like I had the logo. Jerry West was just like two feet yeah. in front of me sitting courtside going to town on some ice cream, man. Like he was tearing it up. <laughs> and it's just like, where else does that happen where you have uh, such an iconic NBA guy? And it's like the funniest thing was is he didn't like order the ice cream somewhere like he was talking to one of his like guys like i don't want to say like one of his handlers but one of his like assistants or whatever he was like man i could really go for some ice cream i think that guy like texted somebody and then he got surprised with ice cream courts and he was like whoa this is so cool like it was oh one God. of the funniest like things that i've ever seen happen and then he was just like a kid in a candy shop just like spooning it up it was the funniest thing that's crazy Jerry, yeah, I've seen a lot of pictures of Jerry West with a l random people. Like, I guess he's just out there just vibing. Um, yeah. One thing I did want to ask you, with the Jabari thing, you got to see him as rookie or Jabari and Tari. What was the difference that you saw between the two of them um, out of this summer league? Because watching it on TV, the confidence, the swag, just the, the play, everything seemed like night and day from when he first got there. Was that something that you were able to read, like, in person? Did you kind of see um, some of the growth and, and development over the year that he's had? and how Tari has had uh, in this scene at life? Absolutely, right? Just focusing on Jabari first here for a moment. I mean, he is not somebody that lacks for confidence whatsoever. He does have like that air of confidence about him, but I think that's in a way almost like his his outward persona, right? He's a very outspoken guy. Um, he does have a ton of that confidence, but he's also very critical of himself, right? In, in conversations that I've had with John Lucas this past season, talking about how hard Jabari gets on himself at times when he's, you know, missing shots or when he doesn't, you know, execute something properly on the floor. He is his own worst critic, right? He at times can sometimes get in his own head a little bit. And I think this past season was a bit of a wake-up call for Jabari to the point where it's like, you know, for so many of these guys, right, they make it to the NBA and they go from being the guy, the number one guy, the best player on every team that they've ever been on in their careers to that point to suddenly like, yo, you're not top dog anymore. Right. And, and you're not as right. good as you thought you were. And I think that was a bit of like the wake up call for Jabari as he got to the NBA and the competition was maybe a little bit uh, more difficult than he thought it was going to be. The adjustment period was a lot longer than he thought it was going to take things that he thought were going to thought was going to translate like his shot didn't translate right away for him. And so his rookie season was pretty rough. Right. And that's why even at summer league, right. He was talking about the fact, like why wouldn't he play summer league? Right. He, he highlighted the fact that he had a bad rookie year and he knows exactly what he needs to work on and improve. So I think kind of for him, that trial by fire, almost of just being thrown in the deep end, getting all the minutes that he got last year, being, kind of thrown into the deep end and not having really, you know, any semblance of a system around him, unfortunately, was a bit detrimental at times from the Steven Silas coaching staff. But I do think that now we're on the other side of it. He's finally like gotten out of the deep waters and back into the shallow end where it's just like, okay, hey, I can swim. I know what's going on, right? I got my first taste of it. And I think he's starting to regain some of that composure, some of that confidence in his own game to where you saw exactly what he did in those two games in summer league, right? He looked yeah. like a night and day different player out there. The confidence, the swagger, the just, I think the confidence in his moves and what he was doing on the floor, right? There were some things that he would maybe try on the court throughout the NBA season, right? He'd try to drive. He'd try to do this. He'd try to get to some of his spots on the floor. And sometimes it worked. And then other times it looked like he was just, you know, still unsure of himself, right? Still trying to figure out the ways that he can be effective in a given game. Whereas he was out there on the summer league court. And even in that first half where 
things looked a little a little rough for him. He still looked confident in what he was doing, right? The shots that he was taking, the moves that he was making, things just weren't falling for him in those first two quarters. And then I don't know if Ben Sullivan gave like a you know a confident speech or something at halftime, but he came back out in that third quarter and was like, no, I'm the best player on the floor. I'm gonna play like it. And he forced the issue. The aggressiveness was on another level. The handle really stood out. Is it's still not like spectacular, mm-hmm. but his ability to get low to the floor, to be able to stay control or stay in control over the basketball, um, and make things happen that way. I think that was always the biggest knock on him coming out of college. And if that handle is like legitimate now, or at least you know acceptable, that's going to unlock a lot more for him on the offensive side of the floor. And then for Tari, I mean, Tari just, he continues to do, I don't even know any other way to say it than to say, Frank, he just keeps doing Tari Eason things, right? Like he goes out there, he's a workhorse, he'll outwork everybody on the floor. It doesn't matter whether he's playing against, you know, LeBron James or fringe summer league guys. He's going to go out there and he's going to give you 110% every single possession that he's on the floor. He's going to outwork you. He's going to outmuscle you. And I think for me, the biggest takeaway from Tari from this summer league was, I feel like we almost put him into a box a little bit where it's like, is he just a three and D guy? And I feel like maybe he has the potential to be more than just a three and D guy, right? Where he can be, you know, I don't know if he's ever going to like be a guy that you give the rock to and say like, all right, go get us some offense. But if he can be a guy that can create um, as a secondary point of attack offensively, if he can, you know, attack off the catch and drive and make the correct reads and make the right next pass and that kind of thing. And I think he showcased that a little bit during summer league is he was kind of facilitating a little bit when the offense ran through him. And that's what you'd like to see in summer league, right? His guys step out of their comfort zones a little bit to see what they're capable of doing. We saw him like drive and hit some like turnaround fadeaways, which were definitely probably not in Ben Sullivan's game plan, honestly. But the fact that you saw Tari like making some of those moves and going off the dribble and doing some unconventional things at least lets us know that that's in his bag a little bit. And it's not like a complete just area of uh inexperience for him moving forward yeah I think Tari he's a natural hooper and that's something that was apparent his rookie year and yeah it's it's more I would say more of the same it sounds boring but I think he's he's already great um the biggest issue for him was obviously some of the tunnel vision stuff and the kind of bonehead decisions that he would make uh, on the court and fast break and things like that and um one of the things with Coach Silas that I always thought is that if if Coach Silas would really focus on holding these guys accountable and polishing their games, it would really elevate them to the next level. And I think with the new coaching staff, that's definitely something I'm looking forward to seeing for both Jabari, Tari, all the players and being held accountable. And, you know, if you're going to make a tunnel vision play and cost a team a, maybe a transition point, you might get pulled. So, um, but that does lead us and, to. Well, um, I would, and, ahead, can, I, can I chime in really quick? Uh, just yeah, on, that, on that exact point you're talking about with the accountability. And I know we're going to talk about this guy in a little bit here, but, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that Dylan Brooks mentioned when we got the chance to, you know, talk to him for the first time in Vegas was the fact that he is so excited to be able to work uh, with a guy like Tari Easton because he's played against him for this past, you know, this entire past season. And, he sees, you know, a lot of himself in a player like Tari and he takes a lot of pride in being able to bring these, these young wings like under his wing and be able to teach them, you know, what he's learned with his years in the NBA. And one of the things that he spoke about specifically talking about Tari is 
teaching him how to kind of get like some of those finer details of the game right. And so just kind of ironing out some of the little wrinkles in his game. And I think that's exactly what he plans to kind of help focus on with Tari, right? Some of those little, you know, those little decisions, like the things you do in the fast break or some of the, you know, the small decisions that Tari would make where you're just like, man, like, you know, you pile them over, pile them up over the course of a 48 minute game. You're like, okay, that could have been the difference in potentially a win versus a loss. And seeing that, kind of mentality from Dylan Brooks and how excited he is to be in a leadership role for some of these young guys. Again, very specifically like Tari Eason, Jabari Smith Jr., those guys, but really just the entirety of the roster. Um, I think he's really embracing this role with open arms. Yeah, I I definitely agree. And I've seen uh, his comments on that. Um, And this will lead us to, you know, you know, what we're about to talk about, which is expectations for the team. Um, We're going to start with the players and then we'll talk about the team as a whole. But uh, I'm going to go through, I'm going to give you names, uh, and then we're going to talk about what a good season from this player looks like, not only as far as just on court, but what do they bring to the team? What role are they playing? Are they a leader? Is there, are there somebody that's bringing effort? Um, what is a, a, a great season? Um, and we can start right at the top with Fred Van Vliet. So, you know, because like a lot of times people are are waiting to accomplish certain right. things. You don't know how many times we hear, man. Let us let us try to win this Super Bowl. Yeah. Well, man, like your team ain't won a Super Bowl in a long time. Like right. if we gonna wait on that, right. we may never get you on the show. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it's always like something else that people are trying to achieve. And now as you move on to Houston, it's a different sort of challenge for you, right? Like you don't have to prove who you are mm-hmm. as a player anymore. Right. right. People know you can hoop, but now it's like, okay, can this man lead a team? Mm-hmm. Right. This is a long way from coming off the pick and roll with Siakam and hitting the three from the top of the key and right. putting your team up to win it. Right. Like this is going to be building from the ground up. Already saw uh, you out running heels with Jalen mm-hmm. recently. Y'all got Dylan Brooks. When you look at this new challenge, which is you being in a different position, how are you approaching who you're going to be once you walk into that locker room? I'm just going to be myself. I think that's that's the best thing that I learned about myself this year. And part of the reason why we never got to do it during the year is because I had a fucked up year. You know, personally, one of my worst seasons and as a team, not a great season for our standard in Toronto. So um, just learning, you know, a lot about what it takes to lead a team, to be one of the guys on the team, to take the, the blame, to take the critiques. And so more often than not, you get pulled in so many different directions. You're trying to please these people over here and please these people and you just you're trying to serve everybody else instead of just you know walking in and standing tall and being yourself so it's a great fit it's a breath of fresh air for me because part of the recruiting process was like look we just want you to come here and be yourself and that alone is going to help raise some of these guys level with the professionalism the way you work every day um leading you know helping the team so i'm excited about it um obviously the rockets um, have paid a ton of money to bring him in, but you can see that from his interview on the Pivot podcast, he really shed a lot of light on his goals here in Houston is to make every penny worth it. And I love when I hear stuff like that from players um, because I feel like, um, you know, he's the type of player, the thing about Fred being an undrafted, a guy that had to earn everything at every level uh, to get to where he is, where he's earning this contract, um, to contrast that with the talent that we have on the roster right now, guys that are first round picks. Um, top, top, top lottery picks, um, but haven't earned anything in the NBA. Uh, for me, when I look at Fred, uh, a successful season for him is going to be really dictated by the encore product. Like the efficiency, I think, has to improve. 
And I'm assuming it will, given that, you know, to me, the Raptors roster was trash. Uh, they had a lot of not just because the players were bad. They have better players individually. But the collection of players, to me, it was just for his, a guard of his stature. That's hard to really play in that system where it's so much in the paint waiting on you. Uh, the second thing for Fred I'm looking at is that leadership. Some of the stuff you talked about with Dylan Brooks, how does he draw out the best out of all the players? Because not only is he getting paid for his encore product, you're also looking at the veteran experience. And he's the almost the perfect type of veteran, which is a guy that's at the, his prime, but he isn't a diva, um, like to say a James Harden. Um, as he just posted a tweet on Twitter saying, I've been comfortable for too long. It's time to get uncomfortable. Man, we're, like, get, we're, getting the, we're getting the cryptic James Harden, like IG Twitter <laughs> posts already. And it's not oh even God, August. It's July. It's Dude, not even. He's heating up well before his birthday. He's oh, like, yeah, you he's know what? I'm going to ramp this thing up. Form. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm he, excited he to watch this the, play out. He borrowed the rant from John Wall. And he's like, hey, let me let me hold that for a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So he said he's been he's been. Un- I'm like, all right, bro, you got it. But. Thank God we dodged that. But Fred coming, you know, being here, I think the leadership on court, you know, efficiency, just playing. And the fact that he's in a diva, he doesn't need the ball to be somebody that uh, impacts the game. I think it's perfect for the development of some of the younger talent we have on the court. But for you, what is what is a Fred Van Vliet success story look like for the Houston Rockets uh, in this coming season? You know, I, I love you bringing up the point about his background, right? And the way that he's had to really kind of fight and claw as an undrafted guy to, to get to where he's at right now in his career. And I think that meshes exactly with the the exact same kind of career trajectory that Ime Udoka had as a player, right? Ime was never a player that true. was just given anything. He had to fight and earn every single opportunity, the minutes that he got, all of that. And he had to also kind of, you know, fight his way and work his way up through, you know, his coaching tree as well, right? He's obviously, he's a product of the Popovich coaching system. So that work, you know, that, that lends itself to a lot of future favors and kind of some, uh, you know, it's a, it's a probably pretty strong resume builder at that point, but he wasn't a guy that was just, you know, walked right into a head coaching position, right? He did his time. He paid his dues as an assistant coach with the Spurs. Then a couple other pit stops here and there got his, you know, his first attempt with the Boston Celtics and took him to the finals, man. I mean, yeah. Again, he's a guy who's done the most with the opportunities that he's been given. So I do think that there's that level of like connection between him and Fred. And I very much expect Fred to be kind of an extension of Ime Odoka himself on the basketball floor. And I think that to me is going to be the real defining characteristic of whether or not the Fred Van Vliet experiment works, right, is I think Ime, especially with so many other young players out there, needed an extension of himself on the floor, somebody that he can rely on to make sure to keep these guys in order on the floor. Because if you just go out there, if you just roll out the ball and you're running out there with, you know, three, four, five different, you know, 19, 20, 20 year old, 21 year olds, the way that they did these last two or three years, then of course things are going to look crazy. Of course it's going to look chaotic and it's going to look unorganized. Even if you have all the talent under the sun mm-hmm. on the court with those five positions. If you don't have a leader of men out there to organize things and put guys in the right spots and hold guys accountable, even if the head coach on the sidelines is going to hold guys accountable, you need somebody to be able to do that on the court. And I do think yeah. that's exactly what Fred Van Vliet's going to bring to this team. And I also think Amin Thompson is probably pretty ready ready to go, ready and equipped to also have that kind of voice and that impact on the floor. 
albeit in a much smaller role coming off the bench mm. more than likely again it's you know nothing's a guarantee yet until we hit training camp but more than likely in the backup point guard role I do expect the Rockets to give him a bit of a leash and let him kind of you know have those reps on the court to you know control the flow of things and run the offense and uh, be the guy for the 15 to 20 minutes a night that he gets either by himself on the floor or potentially even sharing time with Fred Van Vliet. I know you talked about the efficiency as well, and that's a big one yeah. for me. To me, everybody likes to crack the joke, right? Oh my God, he's shooting less from the floor than like what he's making on his contract or whatever. I don't expect Fred to have to take that many contested twos in this Rockets offense, yeah. right? That's That's not going to be his bread and butter. His bread and butter in this Rockets offense is going to be I expect him to take anywhere from like eight to 10 threes a game, honestly, to space the floor, to be a high volume three point shooter and to be a table setter for this team. And his assist to turnover ratio is solid. So you like, you know, you like that. He's going to take care of the basketball. Um, but he does, like you said, right. It, you know, in Toronto with so many non shooters around him and the way that the teams were able to kind of pack the pack, the paint against that Toronto team with everybody around, you know, on the board for them having a regressed year or, regressing this past season as far as shooting the three ball, um, it made it really easy to defend them. And it made it really hard on a guard like Fred Van, Fred, uh, Fred Van Vliet. God, it's a good thing I'll talk for a living, Frank. I'm all <laughs> stumbling over my words. I'm going to take a second to compose myself. Um, the lights yeah, but, were brighter than expected. I'm yeah, I know, right? Just, uh, t- <laughs> shut them off. Shut them off. They're too bright. They're too bright. Um, no, look. Uh, uh, but for real, like for, for a guy like Fred, he's not the type of guard that you want driving into the paint and trying to finish in the land of the trees, right? Yeah. So as long as he is orchestrating the Rockets offense, spacing the floor, which we know that he's a good floor spacer and he's a guy that obviously he's coming off of a down year from from three-point land, but he's also a deep three-point shooter. He's a guy that can take a couple steps behind the three-point line and really space out that defense to its maximum level. So for that type of player, I think that the three-point shooting is going to be huge for him, how he ultimately orchestrates the offense and how he employs what Ime Odoka wants on the floor and how he organizes these young guys. Those are all going to be the the metrics by which we kind of grade his season. And honestly, I think he's really readily equipped to rise to that occasion. Yeah, I think so too. I think one thing I noticed with Fred, um, just digging through, kind of trying to figure out why he struggled and what he struggled on. I did notice a trend that when he had a center on the court, he actually was efficient. Um, A lot of the times when they went with Pascal Siakam at the five, um, his shooting numbers dipped down. Uh, The thing with Fred, no matter when, when he's on the court, he was a plus for the Raptors. And that's one thing that people tend to ignore um, with these efficiency metrics and how they play and the shooting numbers is that he impacts winning. And I think that's one thing the Rockets are going to be looking at. Um, Fred on the court for the Raptors was a plus six at all times. And when he was off the court, they were like a minus two. So it's, it's, he is a player that does all the stuff that, you know, you don't, you don't really count on the efficiency sheet, but thinking that he's getting a, a big man like Alperen Changun is going to be key for him because him and Jakob Pertle, when he played with Jakob, his numbers look beautiful. So I think there's a little, some basketball as, aspect of the game to him having a screener to come off and get his shots off rather than playing that two-man game with Pascal in the post. Okay, so that's Fred. Fred, you know, hopefully all of that comes true. I think his role is going to really correlate with the next player, Jalen Green. So you guys got a new head coach, uh, Coach Ime. Has he reached out to you? Is there a level of excitement kind of going on within the team? Has there any relationship been started there yet? Yeah, he actually, right after he got, you know, got the coaching job, he came straight to L.A. because I think he's leaving out here or something. But I called him on the phone just letting him know, like, 
I'm willing to do whatever it takes to win this year. Like, um, I'm on that this year. Whatever it takes. And he was saying, like, yeah, I'm going to be out in L.A. Um, and I want to sit down with you, Josh, and, and Tari. So we go to dinner. We were just talking. Like, it wasn't really we wasn't really talking hoops. Like, we were just trying to get to know each other. Mm-hmm. We were having a good time. It seemed like I'm going to be able to relate to him real good. I had to come to the workout. Um, when I was with Noah, mm-hmm. and he came watch the workout. So I mean, I think I think it's gonna be good. Yeah, really. I think y'all in good hands, man. He yeah. a proven winner. Showed that he can do it. Went to the finals. Yeah, proven. You know, players, coach, know how to coach superstars. Know how to coach. You know, <clears throat> and and put guys in the right position mm-hmm. to succeed. I think y'all in great hands, especially yeah. the talent y'all got. He gonna bring structure too. So yeah, what y'all be. need. That's what we need. And his success on the season coming up, like now, Jalen. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why, why are you just anointing Jalen Green the starter, Frank? This is the we'll utmost talk about disrespect. We'll talk about it. To hey, listen, Kevin Porter listen, Jr., I'm just pointing it out here. Just listen, on, hey, hey, if Jalen, if Jalen is is still stuck in the Silas, uh, Silas me- mental framework, he's he might come off the bench. But I, I'm gonna assume I'm gonna give J- Jalen the assumptions. One, I think the Rockets give him the benefit of the doubt as a returning starter. I think too that Jalen is actually a hard worker. And a bright kid that picks, he's a sponge. And that's one thing. Anything he's put his mind to, like to say, I'm going to work on this, he actually improves on it. So I think now you see the workout videos of him and Fred, you know he's he's locked in for this year. So I, I think his talent, just talent and work ethic, you can't and, and it is worth noting, right? He didn't just like, he didn't wait for Fred to like become official and then go start working out. He was already out in LA mm-hmm. working out well before those videos started going up and going viral on Twitter. He had been out in LA for, I believe it was about a month uh, working with coach Mike G out there. Uh, getting, you know, wor- working on his offseason weight program, all of that. He's up to about 195, almost 200 pounds now. Um, yeah. So, like, it, it wasn't just like, oh, Fred signed, like, now I'm going to start getting serious. Let, was, let me go. He was yeah. already out there doing the work. And then Fred was like, okay, bet you're out there working. Cool. Let me come join you. And this is something new for them. I think for our guys, they've missed some of that, some of those veteran connections, not only on the court, but networking with trainers, with getting them into runs that go on in the NBA, where they can go against NBA competition. But for Jalen, I'm assuming for him, he's coming into his third year. He's going to be playing almost for a contract year for him because his performance this year is going to dictate kind of the terms that you start off with when he gets into his extension talks with the team. So I expect him to play well. And I think for me, what I want to see from him is something that I felt like he lacked. And this is really more mental he was very passive to KPJ, Christian Wood, and obviously he's young, but if he's going to be the guy for our team that's going to take the Bulls by the horns and be like the face of this franchise, like he's been given a lot of some of the anointing to do when he's on the billboards and the posters and the promos that the Rockets do, I need to see that on the court and I need to see his demeanor match that. Now, we know not everybody is a rah-rah, you know, leader. You can have, like, with the Steph Curry and Draymond. Draymond is, like, the vocal guy. But at the end of the day, when, you know, at the post-game conferences, Steph is the one that takes ownership of a lot of the stuff that goes on with the team. Um, And I think that maturity from Jalen is really – because I know his talent is going to be there. He's going to just by osmosis average 20-something points. Um, But can you play defense? Can you function as a, you know, as a constructive piece in the, in the middle of a team that has multiple scores, multiple initiators? And I think he can. I'm not worried about that. But to me, it's the mentality. And for me, I've had him when he first came in. I thought Jalen was going to be like Kobe level. And I've docked him down to the Levines and maybe Booker levels and not because of his talent. But because of I haven't seen, I, I don't want to say dog, like to make it such a like a common term, but he just hasn't really shown me 
that level of like he's a just that has that stone cold mentality. I need to see that from him uh, this year because I feel like some of the young bucks we got coming in, they ready to take that spot. But what is Jalen? What does a Jalen season look like for you that'll make you think, man, he had a good year? Yeah, I, just to your point about kind of some of the leadership, right? And, and especially the deferring to other guys on the roster. I do think that was something that we saw for these first two years, and it was really concerning, right? Especially the dynamic that he shared with Kevin Porter Jr., right? The the whole twin, that's my brother, whatever. I, I do think there were times where the big brother dynamic between him and Kevin Porter Jr., KPJ being the older guy, there were times where Jalen would just defer to him on the court where he'd just be like, okay, Kevin's got... Kevin's got the rock. Kevin's cooking. Awesome. I'm just going to, I'm just going to, you know, slide away into the shadows and I'll just do my thing over here. I'll space the floor, whatever. And he was just content to not really have an impact on the game. And at the end of the day, there were games where Jalen was dominant, where he had big scoring nights, 20, 30, 40 plus, whatever. And Kevin was still able to impact the game in certain ways, because at this point he's a better facilitator. He's a better defender at times when he's locked in on that end. And so he was able to still kind of make a difference in some of those games and find ways to impact the game, especially also as a shooter, because he's a better spot up outside catch and shoot guy than Jalen is right now. Whereas the inverse, when Kevin would be having one of his monster nights where he's, you know, 20, 25, 30 plus or whatever, and he's dominating the basketball, Jalen would kind of fade into nothing on those games and it felt very frustrating because it's like no you're supposed to be the face of the franchise right you're supposed to be the guy getting the most shots on the team you're supposed to be the guy leading this team for better or for worse and it shouldn't be a your turn my turn between you and Kevin you need to be the guy every single night and I do think that we saw glimmers of that last season where like coming into media day, right? He had a bit of that swagger, a bit of that juice to him where he was talking about, you know, I'm going to lead my team to more wins. You know, I want to do like he, he was taking ownership of the team. Yeah. And even at points throughout the season, right? When the Rockets were at their peak of like the losing streak and all this stuff, he absolutely took ownership in that locker room and, and you know, things like we need to be better. I need to be better. There's things that we need to focus on as a team. So I do think that it's frustrating. It had to have been frustrating for him being in that dynamic kind of, especially for all those players in the locker room, kind of seeing the writing on the wall, knowing that Silas was probably on his way out at the end of the season and just trying to like drag and make it to the finish line. Um, and I do think, that, you know, your point about him being a sponge, right? And absorbing all the information, all the knowledge from all the guys around him. I do think that's where you get, you know, the veteran guys from Van Vliet, Dylan Brooks, now Ime Odoka as the head coach. He's going to absorb so much of that. And I do think that all these acquisitions are really going to help ele elevate his game to a completely different level this next season to where we do see him kind of take on that leadership role of the team. We do see him become the true number one option because now he's got a legitimate point guard to make sure that he's the number one option every single night on the floor. And there's not going to be uh, Hey, okay, it's my turn to cook for six minutes and you're going to get iced out of the game off in the corner. Sorry. Um, I think a <laughs> successful season for Jalen I don't even need to see him take an uptick scoring the basketball, Frank. Like I'd be so content with him at like 20 a game just on better efficiency, right? Like I want to see him pick and choose his spots a little bit better on the floor. And a good chunk of that is going to come from how does Ime actually deploy him, right? Does, does he continue to get a steady dosage of like on ball reps, we can, which he can do. We saw last season what happens when you put Jalen Green on ball. He's capable of doing it. And now you have a guard in Fred Van Vliet that you can put off ball and help space the floor for him. So... What does it ultimately look like? What does his role look like in an Ime Odoka offense? And I think that's going to be kind of the big question mark about how good he does look ultimately next season. And then just the other stuff, see him evolve and continue to grow as a playmaker and see if he can buy in a bit more defensively, right? Because we've seen the yeah. moments where he looks locked in defensively and now he's got Van Vliet, who's a plus defender, 
Dylan Brooks is a plus defender. Jabari, who's a plus defender. Hopefully, Shingun and Jalen can take another step forward on that side of the basketball. Now that they've got three guys around them and an expectation from their new head coach that defense matters now and that you have to actually care about that side of the basketball. Yeah, I think it's a big year for him. And I expect, you know, with the weight gain, I think a lot of his on-court issues were due to weight. I expect him to keep getting better. And I totally agree. I had said that, what you said about his scoring. Um, people are, uh, if we have a better team, so I, I don't assume he, if he scores 22 again, I think that'd be a surprise to me actually, but the efficiency to me really, really matters. That means he's taking better shots. He's listening to his coach. And I think that's really what's going to be a marker of improvement. So, uh, you know, y'all don't freak out if his scoring goes down. I think he just needs to score more efficiently. All right. So this one, this guy, Dylan Brooks, a controversial figure among, amongst the fan base. How do you think the your experience with the Grizzlies kind of prepared you for this role with this team specifically? I feel like it's like almost the exact same team from three, four years ago. We kind of have the same type of players. Um, Jalen Green, like John Moran, um, Jabari is like Jaron. You know, these young guys that can um, stand their games and be one of the best or the best in the league. So um, I feel like around but you and Fred were brought in to kind of be the, the veteran leaders, the mentors for these young guys. How would you best describe your leadership style? Um, I'm, 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 I'm vocal, especially on the floor, on the basketball floor. Um, through my years at Memphis, I learned how to, you know, take guys under my wing and communicate them what I learned, my stories that I went through at the NBA. Trying to find ways, like I said, to win. You know, obviously, my thing, if you're a rocket, you're a rocket. I don't give a damn. You know, we'll, we may hate it. Like, if Draymond or we, we even accept the Chris Paul, we accept the Russell Westbrook. We're like the – we. They, I saw a poster of – it had nothing to do with us. But somehow, some way, eight out of the nine players on there have been rockets. It was like Boogie Cousins on there. Just some random poster. But we accept we accept everybody. So, Dylan Brooks is a rocket guy. So, you know, we have to defend him now. Island me, of misfit toys, man. Yes, we are. We are. We're going to hit one of these days and get a championship out of these guys. Uh, for me with Dylan Brooks, uh, I think his impact, obviously the shot selection in Memphis was an issue. I've heard some Memphis fans say that it was out of necessity um, due to some of the the uh, the injuries that they have with Ja going out, obviously being uh, suspended. He was injured. There were guys that went down. So he actually tried to take on a load that's not usually his MO uh, when he's on the court. Um, and that impacted his efficiency. And, you know, sometimes when players get into those modes, it's hard to break out of it. A la James Harden on the unguardable tour. Even when Chris Paul came back, he just, you know, still try to. So for me, Dylan, I think he probably and this is no cap. I think he might have the biggest impact on the team, not only just from what you have said with taking Tari, Bari and some of these guys under his wings. I think every team needs a a a player that brings a certain mentality and toughness. And an enforcer, right? Every team needs an, an enforcer. An enforcer, yep. And demands it from everybody else. Like I love that aspect of a player. I love a guy, you know, I don't want like Draymond type punching people in practice, but at least somebody that makes like if you're not playing hard, they want to fight you. Nah, man, what's and, what's the over under on how many practices we get in before Dylan Brooks throws oh, a fight? punch at KPJ? Oh, it's gonna be a fight. It's gonna be a fight. <laughs> I don't know if it's gonna be I think him and KPJ will probably get along. I'm thinking if Dylan Brooks hit somebody, who would it be? Well they took I'll say somebody like Gup, but I, I don't know. I don't know. That's a random tangent. But uh I, I you know I really do believe that uh, his impact that that mentality for him a great season is 
reining back some of that, understanding that there are players around you that could score for you and just focusing on that defensive and helping bring that mentality, that uh, that kind of mindset to the team, which we've sorely lacked. Um, I'm okay with him taking shots. Obviously, he's, he's a vet. He's been in the league. He's played in the playoffs. He's been, you know, first round, second round. But, but he, just needs, big to, he just needs to take better shots, right? Like, just don't, you know, we, we eliminate the contested yep. twos or the old or the the early in the shot clock pull up threes. Like, we don't need to see bad shots from him. And I do think there's a way that you can balance it, right? And basically say, look. Dylan, you're going to get your shots. You're going to get your looks. We're going to get you plenty of attempts, but these are the attempts we want you to get, right? We want you to get you on backdoor cuts to the basket or transition layups and dunks. You know, when you're out in the fast break after forcing a turnover on the other end or getting a good stop, right? We want to get you out in transition and get an outlet pass out to you or get you and Fred in the, you know, in the open court or you and Jalen in the open court or just settle in and knock down your corner threes, right? Take good shots within the offense, but right. His role has to like, I mean, it's not crazy to think he basically probably has to be the four, the fifth option offensively, right, of the projected five starters. And anything past that is probably not going to bode well for Rockets fans or they're not going to be happy yeah. about it. Yeah, that that's that's tough. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe him and Jabari could, could. But then you see what Jabari did in Summer League and that potential yeah. there to score. It does kind of beg the question that that is something I haven't thought about. What, what option would he be? But would you so for you, for him, a, a good season would be shot selection or or what else would you would you say he would have to do? I think it, it does have to be shot selection more just like, you know, and we we talk. I think we've talked about this before, uh, either here or over at L.O.R. or just wherever Rockets watch. Mm-hmm. But like one of the things that was so amazing about K.J. Martin is that he knew his role. Right. And he didn't try to overstep his role he stayed in his lane he did what he was supposed to do and he did it well for the most part i think that's what you need out of dylan brooks and i think that's less of a dylan brooks thing and more of an email doka thing right like what level what type of dylan brooks is email doka gonna get right can he rein him in and get him to buy into hey we want you to excel at the things that you're great at and we want you to do less of the things that you're not great at and if you do those things and if you stick to that plan, we're going to be a good team or we're going to be a, a significantly better team than what we were. And I do think there's maybe a world where we've seen the this Rockets organization kind of, I guess, put a lot of confidence in these young guys, right? Clearly, the next stage of this rebuild is going to be contingent on how much internal growth the Rockets have from everybody, from the core six guys, basically, plus Kevin Porter Jr. So those seven guys, how much those guys ultimately grow and develop will dictate how good this Rockets team is because Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks aren't going to get you back to contention by themselves, right? They're here to bridge the gap and to be ancillary pieces to what the Rockets are hoping that some of these draftees can eventually turn into stars, hopefully down the line. So I do think there's maybe a world, Frank, where like the pecking order for the Rockets next season could very easily be something like where Jalen's your number one option. Jabari and Shingun are kind of your two slash three options within the offense. And then Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks are actually your like ancillary pieces, right? Where Van Vliet isn't going to be the guy who's taking 10, 15 shots a night where he's only taking the shots that he gets that are generated off of, you know, the actions where Jalen and Shingun try to attack a defense or break them down via a drive or a post up or whatever. And same thing for Dylan Brooks, where those two guys could very easily be the fourth and fifth leading guys in like shot attempts, usage, whatever out of the starters, because so much of the focus is being placed on Jalen Jabari Shingun on those guys and trying to really push the message that these are our young guys. We want them getting the reps. We want them getting the focus and we want as much of 
you know, our offense, as much of our stuff to run through them as possible, not to where it's detrimental, but just because that's where the internal confidence is. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that those are, those are great points. I mean, I think that's an ideal world. I, I don't know. I, I can't imagine. I think the only person I, I would say I'm okay with actually being like a primary scorer. I think Fred probably would, would probably want to be maybe a, at least a second option. Um, if not first, I know he is a um, he can play that true point guard role, but um, I, I actually think they would actually need it uh, more. What what will really what will really be interesting, Frank, is I honestly think like of the five starters, and I'm sure there's a way we can track this and and using like lineup data. I feel like uh-huh. of those five starters, when they're on the court with each other, it might look like the way that I just described it. But I think what we could see from Fred is like he takes a bit more of that like uh, offensive role in the second unit, right where. You know, maybe he gets mm. subbed out and, and Amin Thompson comes in or maybe Jalen is the early sub, however they work it. But I, I fully expect Amin Thompson and Fred Van Vliet to share the floor, you know, a lot together because of Fred Van Vliet's ability to space the floor for Amin Thompson. I also think there's going to be a lot of lineups where we see Jabari at the five with Amin Thompson out there or Jeff yeah. Green at the five so that they have that five out spacing where they've got all guys stretching the floor to really open things up for Amin to, to drive and try to collapse the defense that way. And with that being the case, I could see Fred getting a good number of his like shot attempts from that second unit, essentially playing alongside a Min Thompson, who's actually running the offense and generating the looks. But Fred is the guy who's kind of benefiting from that, similar to the way that Jalen will benefit from Fred running the offense in the first unit. Yeah, I mean that 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 would be ideal. I think the lineups is very are very underrated. Uh, shout out to Uncle Jeff. I'm excited to see how they use him and whether he can get a body in a Rockets uniform. All right, Jabari, um, obviously coming off of Summer League, his stock is at all-time high right now. You've talked about your leadership pretty often and, and how you're very confident in your voice in that locker room. How do you feel yourself growing as a leader, especially with adding so many other young guys to this roster? Um, You know, just using my voice, you know what I'm saying? I'm young. You know, uh, there's people on the team probably older than me, but, you know, me playing 79 games last year and, and starting all of them, I, mean, I have a lot of experience and a lot of, a lot of knowledge to give off. And, um, you know, just me using our voices is helpful because, you know, a team with a lot of leaders is, is, is a good team because leaders not only can lead and, and tell others, but they also can listen. So when, when, when players are like like Huff, you know, he's older than me, been around uh, longer than me. And when he tells me stuff, I'm listening, open ears. Um, anybody telling me anything, I'm just listening. And, and I always got an open ear and just, just there to help. Um, I think that there was, you know, I was thinking like there's a world where Jabari, if he continues like he was last year, where he would have to, um, and I still think there's a world where he, you know, he has to sustain being good because once you're trying to win, just having a good game here and being bad for like a month is not going to cut it anymore. So it's like being consistent. And I think Coach Lucas has said that in one of his uh, postgame interviews about the young guys is, uh, you know, it's one thing to show and flash that you are you have talent. But uh, when you're a real pro, it's doing it on a day to day basis. And I think that's where we've lacked with our guys. So Jabari, to me, successful season is more like development, growing. Um, being, you know, I think defensively he was great uh, uh, in a certain aspects of his game, but as a help side de- defender, he he didn't really. And he said this before, uh, adjusting to the NBA schematics and all that was really a tough transition for him. Shots, the three point shot is still um, in development, um, and hopefully that does come along. But I think what I saw from summer league from him is that you, I, I'm excited about is the shot, the shot diversity. Like he wasn't just a spot up shooter, right? The Jabari was actually scoring 
everywhere on the court, in the paint, at the rim, from the mid uh, mid post, scoring from the mid range. The, the best some, part uh, was him drawing fouls, right? The, the drawing draw, fouls. Like, the drawing fouls was yeah. such a yeah. big part, man. Because and you don't get to that point where you get the defender on their heels, where you where you get into positions where you can draw the foul because a defender doesn't know where you're going. You don't get there until you have that shot diversity, right? Because his profile yeah. was so diverse where they didn't know if he was going to pull up from three or post up with his back to the basket and get to the fade or drive and pull up, dip the shoulder for some contact. They never knew what, he, what his next move was going to be. And that forced a lot of defenders into some really tough positions for him. He's got those crazy long arms. He had a much lower, tighter dribble this time around. Yep. So he was able to just get low, drive. Shout out to him doing yoga um, in the offseason because that's clearly you think helping. You it was the his... yoga? Dude, I think yeah, it's the okay. yoga, man. No, he, he, looks a, yoga, he looks man. a little more limber he out there, right? <laughs> not, not quite. I love your yoga uh, simulation there. Just but... a little, just a little, <laughs> give, give him a little shoulder. No, but like legitimately, right? He doesn't look like he's a, a two by four, like straight up and yeah, down. Yeah, so yeah, stiff yeah. up and yeah, down, right? Yeah. He's got he's got a little more fluidity to his game. A little wiggle to him. A little wiggle, right? Just just a little wiggle. Not a crazy amount of wiggle but enough to where it looked good and so if he if he's able to have that in his game right we saw how important that was for Jalen this past season where there'd be games where Jalen like couldn't throw you know a rock into the ocean but he was still able to get to the free throw line like 10 12 times because he was yeah. just driving putting his head down and and you know initiating contact and those are some of the ways that star players in this league right can get themselves going and I think that's an important thing is right if you're having a bad off night how else can you impact the game if you're not putting the ball in the bucket? And if you're not putting the ball in the bucket, one way, one easy way to figure out a way to do that and actually score some points is to actually get to the free throw line and get yourself some easy, easy points at the charity stripe. And then you can also impact the game in other ways, right? Your defense, your playmaking, your rebounding, all those things. And those are things that we know that Jabari can do. So if he can add the free throws, you know, and be able to get to the line more consistently, I think that's going to help eliminate some of the games where he goes like complete offer because he's not hitting anything from outside yeah. and he's not getting other opportunities inside the paint in his sweet spots or whatever. It'll just... I think I think the free throw shooting especially is going to help even out some of his games where he's got more consistent production throughout the season. And this is one thing I noticed from Summer League with Coach Sullivan is that when Jabari was struggling in that first half, um, they took Huff out or put a Huff in a dunker spot and started using Jabari to set the screens um, to generate mismatches for him and get him opportunities to get some shots up. And those are some of the – I remember I, – bro, I remember there was an interview uh, where they asked the coach, uh, uh, Silas – you know, he was I, like, yeah, I we, asked him, I you, asked okay, him. Yeah, 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 that was you. That was you. What, what, what was it like? Hey, um, what about basically asking about Jabari doing some pick and pops? He was like, yeah, we thought if about they it. He goes, he goes, if they switch, we can't like do anything with it. Or so I, I, I remember oh, like my God, hearing bro. that answer going, bro, what? Like I was losing yeah, yeah, it that man, was... in that moment. So it's, you know, it's. It's, oh it's this, this, the same guy that said he doesn't draw up plays for the number three overall pick in the draft, right? So it's just, um, look, man, it's it's in the past. What's done is done. Crazy. Thank God, um, you know that it, that it is. Yeah, uh, we, we got a better coach. It, it's better days, guys. All right, all right last player, <laughs> Alperin Shangun. Well, I, ha I have to say this. You know, when the offseason began, you said you wanted to work on your body, your footwork, uh, yep. and your shooting as well. So yep. what would you say has improved the most, in your opinion, uh, this offseason since you've been training? I'm like much more better than for like my shape, like much more better than last year right now. And I'm shooting well also because my Serbian coach was like kind of like shooting coach. Like, you know, he was like teaching me how I like 
uh, like we work on a lot, like mood, like you know, with dribble shoot, like or dribble pull up everything. So I can say like I mostly work right now about over my over my shoot and then like about my legs generally because like you know I know I need to move better. Uh, right now I can say this I improve my leg my uh, footwork legs and then my shoes I can say obviously um, another controversial fi figure um, honestly I think Alpi did enough to like earn a starting spot last year um, obviously the defense is an issue um, but I think that and I talked this one to me and uh, me and Alicon did a, did a pod last I think it's it's largely overblown because with the cover, the drop coverage, it's a team concept, right? And I think we had so many holes on defense that his weaknesses were just exacerbated even more. The Rockets' so, defense was Swiss cheese last year. Everybody yeah, looked it was bad. Swiss. But then, and, it, but then you're gonna, you know, it's gonna look even worse when the guy who's supposedly the, you know, traditionally the, last the line. back line yeah. of defense, right? It's gonna yeah. look even worse because then all the mistakes that Jalen make or Kevin makes or whoever makes is gonna look like it's actually Alp's fault. When at times it's more of a you know, 50-50 or 60-40 split at times instead of it just being all Alp's fault. And he, he overhelped a lot. And I don't know if that's a natural thing for him. He was always trying to cover for people yeah. that would get him out of position for his assignment. But I think for me, just Alp's season is continue to grow. Honestly, I think he might, out of anybody, I think he's going to benefit from having the in implemented structure, the Freds and the, and the Dylan Brooks on there, both offensively and defensively. And I am excited. You think when he benefits I'm, I'm, more than Jalen does? More than everybody, really? Because, okay, okay. Because you get think think about it. Alp's game touches everything. So Jalen might get a boost in like maybe getting the, the ball in the spots that he wants, um, maybe scoring. Uh, he gets help on defense. Where Alperin, he's a guy that's passing the cutters. He's a guy that's setting screens. So you're getting a new set of guards. You're going to get new cutters. Help defense is going to be there for you with actually high IQ defenders. Um, you can run different actions with him. And to me, if he can add that perimeter shooting, it just opens up a whole world. I just feel like the structure and the players we've added all complement his strengths and his help his weaknesses. So I think for him, the season that he's going to have, um, I think he's going to have a really big jump and just his, I think he was already efficient, but just more of looking more comfortable within the NBA game and making more of an impact. Because like I said, I think everything he does impacts all, all parts of the game. So, so you, so, so you, okay. So you think Alp is going to have the biggest jump of any player this season or, or are you just saying just between just, him and Jalen on our roster? I think his skill set and what he does because of the additional players and their IQ and blah, blah, blah. Alprin is going to, he's going to look like, like a pro, like a pro's pro. That's okay. my prediction. Okay. All right. That's my I, cause, prediction. Cause, cause again, I, 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 very much feel the same, but just about Jalen and all the additions and how they're going to help elevate him. So I want to revisit this discussion like yeah, six we'll talk, months yeah, we'll from now. We'll pull yeah, the receipts for, and, for, for and see. Yeah, no, it'll be a ton of fun. We we should that I'm telling you that's that's going to be my read. But what does a, a successful Alpern Shangun season uh, look like for you? I think with LP, so much of it is going to be right, and we've talked about this ad nauseum in so many different places, but. Uh, Right. How do we actually see a version of this team where they actually fully lean into him? Right. And I know you talked about that just now about, you know, the the additions of the veterans and now bringing Udoka in and the fact that his game touches everything, uh, the elevated style of defense that they'll be playing. Hopefully no more. You know, and it's not right. even no more drop coverage. It's just like 
Use it in a smart way, right? Don't play exclusively right. drop coverage, right? Use it when you need to use drop coverage, but, you know, hedge sometimes, blitz sometimes, you know, switch, let him switch, let him, let him, you know, yeah. go, you know, blitz at the end of a possession, do different things defensively with him and, and you know, experiment. That's the big word, right? We never yeah. saw any experimentation with Steven Silas for a coach that was supposed to be this like X's and O's guru. We just never saw any creativity, unfortunately. And it felt like he was just very boxed into this like rigid philosophy of how things had to look and how things had to work on offense and on defense. And it was really frustrating to not see him you know, even try some stuff in what was, you know, a lost season from game one of 82, right? There was no expectations. You could have done whatever you wanted and just thrown stuff at the wall and seen if anything stick. We still never saw Alperin Shingun and Usman Garuba actually share the floor together in a four or five lineup, Frank. Like that's, that's yeah, that was one wild. of the biggest indictments of like the Silas tenures. The fact that we never saw those two guys share the floor, even when Uzi looked like he became the best three point shooter yeah. on the team. We <laughs> the didn't game. see it. Like that dude was yeah. shooting like 60% from three and Silas was like, nah, he can only, he can play behind Bruno and that's it. Um, I don't mean to go down. He knew Stone was going to trade but, him. So, he knew Stone was going to trade him for nothing, right. so he just didn't want, didn't really care it, about it. But yeah. Exactly right. He was like, I, he was like, why would I boost this kid's value so that we can get like a second round pick in return or anything? Um, no, look for for Al P. I do wonder what, like, how much of the offense is going to be, you know, featuring him, right? How much of what we see runs through him? What does Ime envision for him as his role? Um, and then. I don't know. Like, is there, is there a way to like, should we put numbers on it? Like, I don't know if there's anything specific. I know the shooting is kind of a big one because you look at, you look at how obviously the comparisons are unfair, right? To, to, you know, Alpi, baby Joker, Jokic, all that stuff. But like, there are similarities to their game, right? And the way that they manipulate defenses and the way that they do things on the court. And I think one, one major takeaway that I had from watching Jokic all the way through the playoffs and through his, you know, championship run with the Nuggets is especially against the Heat, man. The reason that they were able to just decimate the Heat offensively was because of Jokic's ability to space the floor. Bam Adebayo yeah. had to come check him at the three-point line. If he didn't, it was a cash 40% three point shot like every single time. And it, and when Bam was dragged out to the perimeter, even when Bam was like trying to cheat off of Joker a little bit, that like three to four foot difference in spacing makes all the difference in the world for, for Joker to be able to make some of those backdoor passes or those lobs Cuts, over the top yeah. to Aaron Gordon, who had a switch and had an undersized man on him at yeah. the rim. So for Shingun to really unlock some of his elite ability to create and set up teammates. It's going to be contingent on his ability to be a three point threat, which further goes back to the indictment of the Silas coaching staff. That was like telling him, don't, don't take, take threes, threes, right? Don't take threes. We don't want you taking threes to the point where it messed with his head. He was like, not confident in his three ball. He was like hesitating on threes and like pump faking for a second or like second guessing himself. And you saw it like for a kid that has so much confidence and swagger, the coaching staff actually screwed with that for him to where he was like confused at what to do sometimes on the floor. So hopefully he may kind of reinstill some of that confidence. And hopefully that's something that he has spent a lot of time working on this off season. Cause even if you get to, he doesn't have to have like a 40% like burner from three, just give him like a respectable, like 33 to 35% three point shot to where a defenses cannot leave him wide open. And it's going to open up an ocean of possibilities for what the Rockets can do offensively with him at the top of the key, running off ball actions, backdoor cuts, that kind of thing. And that's what I'm most looking forward to with him is just how creative can Udoka get with how he deploys him offensively.
Yeah, I think those are great points. And the, this floor space is going to be huge for him. And even not just threes, just even the, his mid-range shot. If they can do something in a, uh, things in the paint with him and Jabari, uh, where they can get you mean, switches. You mean his, li- uh, his little shot put? Shot put, yeah. Bring that out a little bit more. I know that. And that shot, I think he was hitting in the mid-50s uh, from that range. So he, he's he's talked about that as something he added to his game. He seems very confident about his uh, perimeter shot coming into this year. I think this is going to be huge for him uh, uh, this coming season. All right, so um, last thing we're going to do is team wins. The Right now, the odds for the Rockets is 31.5. I want you to tell me over or under 31.5, and if there are over, what where, where do you rank? You can give me a range. You don't have to stick on a certain number uh, for that. And are they going to make the play-in in, uh, or playoffs? So – I am confidently over 31.5, Frank. Um, okay. I'm sma- smash the over on this. Uh, I'm saying 35 wins. I've, I've got 35, them. Okay. I've got, I'm predicting 35 at a, like 35 is my sweet spot, but I'm saying like somewhere 35 to 37 is what I'm predicting. And I look at it like this, right? They had 22 this past season, right? 22 wins. I'm not getting that wrong. Yeah. yeah 22 wins. Yeah, no, no, it's 22. So you subtract like the ankle weights of Steven Silas. So take those off. Um, you add the internal growth and development from all the young guys. You add the veterans, Fred Van Vliet, Dylan Brooks, Jeff Green, Jock Landale. You add all those guys. Um, and then you also add Ime Odoka as the head coach, right? I think that easily, easily gets you 13 extra wins. And that's like, again, that's why I'm saying like 35 is like my probably my floor for where they could be. I think they could far, they could probably exceed that number by quite a bit, depending on how big of the leap we see certain guys take like Jalen, like Shingoon, like Jabari, how, you know, if those guys take massive leaps this next season, then we could see them probably break into the forties, honestly, because I think when we went into last year, one of the biggest things was looking at the immense amount of talent on the roster, thinking like, damn, this team might actually be pretty good this year, right? I think pound for pound, had you gone back and again, like hindsight 2020, whatever, it's hard to like look back on these things without our current day biases, but uh, biases, biases, how do you say that? Biases, right? I, 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 by, what are you confusing me? Whatever, I, biases. it's <laughs> biases. Any, anyways, hopefully that's the word. Um, right. Looking back on it, I think if we had compared that Rockets team to that Thunder team, we might have talked ourselves into the fact that the Rockets team had more pound for pound talent on the roster, and yet they still far below, like played below expectations. Now, part of that's because SGA really took off, right. took the leap, became a top ten player. That helps a ton. But the Thunder were still a a net positive, even in the non SGA minutes last season, like they had a good yeah. team. And guess what? A big part of that was coaching, bringing in Mark Dagnall, coaching. right. And having uh, you know, a system and a hierarchy and having an identity for that team. So to me, I think they're going to hit 35 pretty easily this next season. Um, that's my prediction. Playing or playoffs. I think it's going to be, play- I think it's going to be playing pretty safely. I think you can almost chalk it up to right. Like Spurs and Blazers are going to be, uh, out of the running, you can maybe look at a couple other teams, like maybe the Timberwolves fumble a little bit. Oh, the Jazz are going to be another team. So, Spur- so Spurs, Blazers, Jazz are the three teams that are going to definitely be bottom of the conference. I feel like we can almost safely put the Rockets above them. And then all you're looking at is one or two more teams out west to like yeah. have an, a major injury or a stumble, a setback, a trade demand, whatever. And if they fumble a little bit, then any one of those other teams could fall out. And then suddenly the Rockets are very much, I think they're going to be firmly in that nine to 11 range for the play in to where they're like flirting with the play in or like safely in one of those final two slots at nine or 10. 
I'm with you. I'm going to say 35 to 40 wins. I think the play-in playoffs, um, I think play-in range, if they don't make it, but they're chasing it, that thing, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people have high expectations for the team. I do as well, but I, this year is going to be really more of a reset year for trying to change the culture. And even when Ime was in Boston, it took them half a season. Um, they were like right at 500 until like January, mid-January before they went on like one of the greatest runs in NBA history. And I can foresee the Rockets having some of those kind of uh, issues, just getting used to the new regime culture. Guys are going to have to adjust. Then you add the fact that they're adding new players that haven't played with each other uh, with Dylan coming from uh, Memphis and Fred coming from Toronto. All of that has to mesh. It's going to take time. Um, I definitely over it. So the over on that 35 uh, to 40 wins. And uh, yeah, if, if they make the plan, uh, I would be thrilled. I think that's a successful season for them. Bro, I appreciate you for coming through, man. This I know this was a, a, a longer than, than you usually go on LOR, but man, just wanted to uh, make sure that we get all the conversation out because I know uh, the fan base really, really enjoys when we get together, man. Appreciate you. You want to tell the people? Obviously, they already know, but what, what do you got going on? What's coming up? Um, just tell them where they can find you as well. Yeah, absolutely. Always a pleasure to be able to talk basketball, man. Excited to be on this platform. Look, we've got the if I do say so myself here, we've got the two uh, biggest and best YouTube channels when it comes to your Houston Rockets. So I love the support that you guys have shown me over at Locked on Rockets. I love seeing the support that you get over here with the Chop Shop. Uh, you guys are doing amazing content here. Keep churning it out. I know we're heading into the dark days of the NBA offseason, but you know that we'll that Frank and I will obviously have you covered at both of our respective channels with all yes, sorts sir. of offseason shenanigans and nonsense to get us through uh, these next couple months before we uh, fire up training camp and all that good stuff. But uh, you can track me down on Twitter at JT Gatlin. Of course, I do the Locked on Rockets pod five days a week over there. A uh, little bit less frequent in the offseason. I uh, also do Locked on NBA Mondays, so I'm still doing that every single day. We fire up the Rockets watch room occasionally, all that good stuff. So just be on the lookout for all of that content over there. Appreciate you, dog. Always a good time. Thanks for having me. None of us make it this far by ourselves. We're here for a reason. We're here because people help us along the way. We're here because we're doing it together. Just relax. Have fun. It's basketball. We're just going to go out there and play the same way we've been playing. Have fun. Let's do it for the cat. Yeah. Right.